Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hey guys, my name is Troy Eisenbeis, and this is my life story. Um, I, I feel like my story is a little different, a little out of order. Um, growing up, I never went to church regularly as a kid. I remember going to Saddleback for, uh, for a little bit when I was younger, but it didn't last long. I think we went more just because it was the thing to do. I was never really close to my family. I loved them. I just wasn't close. My friends were my life. We all lived within a quarter mile of each other, so naturally we did everything to get together. Wherever they went, I went, no matter what it may be. Life was great growing up. Two of my friends who were brothers uh, grew up in a Christian home, and they went to church regularly. It wasn't until freshman year that the older brother, who was my age, was going to small groups and invited me. I was always intrigued because I never knew much about the church, so I jumped to the occasion and went, to, and went with him that night. I kept attending week after week. I was, going, uh, I was in a small group of about six guys and was hooked and loved every minute of it. The next thing I know, I was regular, regularly attending church, going on weekend retreats, and even ended up going on a two-week missions trip to Brazil with the older brother, uh, who was, my, uh, who was also, also my age. Uh, it wasn't until our sophomore year that the brothers found out that their mom had been diagnosed with cancer. She, she had a tumor the size of an orange behind her left eye, and after a long fight, she ended up passing away a little over a year later. She was like a mom to all of us, and uh, it just completely set us back and destroyed us all. After that, I knew I needed to be with them every minute of every day. Um, and with that mentality, it led us into partying, stealing, and eventually a life of all different types of drugs. At the end of my senior year, my parents informed me that they were getting a divorce, and I wanted nothing to do with it, so naturally I just gave into more drugs and more partying. I was a perfect example of, of living a double life. Remember, at this time, I was still doing all the church things while living the life I just described. Um, I was also on varsity cross-country and track, so no one thought otherwise. I also remember um, constantly smoking weed, any other drugs we can get our hands on. I even, rem even remember showing up to small groups as high as we could be, and even some missions trips. It wasn't until a year out of high school, I was laying in bed, and I remember thinking, I need to get back on track with God. It was just a thought that popped in my head, but God heard it as a prayer, and took that, and fast forward another year, and here I am in Arizona with the military. This is where my life completely changed, and I actually started living for God. After giving up control of my life and surrendering to God's way, my life was completely flipped. He took the passion I had to be surrounded by friends and surrounded me with a group of godly men that I met on the base. They helped me grow in my walk with God and eventually led me here to Compass Church. This is where I met my beautiful, amazing, stunning, gorgeous wife. Um, fast forward seven years. Um, and we have uh, a stubborn little two-year-old named Olivia and little Zoe Grace who will be joining us in October. We also volunteer with student ministries. I've been blessed to be able to serve on the worship team as well. And if it wasn't for God literally forcing me to move away from my home and my friends and realizing that I was not living for him, I can confidently say that I would not have the life I have today. I still struggle every day with pride, envy, and control of my life. The only difference now is that I know and realize it and know that I need a savior to step in. Thank you. How you doing tonight? Yeah, all right. Good, good. I like to hear that. I like the energy in here. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church, also one of the members of the preaching team. And uh, I just, I'm telling you guys, 
I, I, and I, I hate to quit bragging or keep bragging about this, but these guys are, I mean, the, the music tonight, the lyrics are powerful, and the, the, I just love what's happening here. Troy sharing his heart. I mean, you're just real people talking about real stuff, and I, I just hope you, you see the authenticity that's coming out of here. I mean, we really want you to feel like God is in your midst, and whatever you're going through in your life right now, man, God is not giving up on you. I want you to know that. You have to believe that. We have been on a series called Everyone Has Influence, and it's a series about leadership. And last week, we established the fact that when you talk about what leadership is, most people think, you know, oh, I couldn't be a leader because I don't have this high position, or I don't have all these gifts or skills, or I'm not the CEO. But when we break down leadership to its basic core function, what it really is is influence. Your ability to affect someone else's thoughts and behavior and attitude and action. Your, your ability to be able to help someone see something differently by how you yourself act and what you yourself say. Wherever you're at in life, that right there is leadership because it's influence. And so we're looking in the Bible over the next you know, four or five weeks that we're gonna be doing this series at very ordinary people who in the most unlikely of circumstances had influence right where they were. They didn't need to wait until they got into positions of greatness. They, they had influence right where they were and had a dramatic effect on, on world history, on their family, on everything else. So last week we looked at a guy whose name was Joseph, who led right where he was through his integrity. And incidentally, if you want to watch any of these or listen to any of these or download any previous sermons, I want just, just so you know where you can go, compasschurchaz.com slash sermons, and that will give you where you, the, all the direction you need to go to listen to anything that we talked about here. So during the week, we've got, we got probably hundreds of them now online that you can watch and check out. So this is an opportunity for you to look at your own life right where you are and say, God, who should I be influencing? Who have you put among in my life right now that because of how I live and what I say and what I do, it doesn't matter who it is, that, that they can begin to somehow be influenced by me. And this is an amazing thing when you begin to think about that. And what we're really doing is we want to get geared up for August 10th and 11th, which is the Global Leadership Summit. If you haven't signed up for this yet, you need to do this. Um, we're all doing this, basically. In fact, um, pretty soon we're just going to basically say, okay, we're all getting out and going out into the lobby where the connection point is, and we're all going to sign up, but you can sign up online and everything else. But there's a the discount still holds, won't last very much longer, but this is something that, that can really kind of be the capstone of this series because you're really going to look at your life in a lot of um, very personal ways and develop your ability to be able to be a better worker, a better spouse, a better Christian. It's really going to be great, so I want to really encourage you for that. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. And the title of our sermon today is The Stepfather Who Stepped Up. The Stepfather Who Stepped Up. Now you may be wondering, who are we talking about? This guy that's mentioned in the Bible. And the guy that we're going to talk about is a guy named Joseph. But a different Joseph from last week. This is Joseph, the father, or rather really the stepfather of Jesus. And I'm so excited about this because I had the chance to study about Joseph. Because I never really studied about him. Because no one really cares about Joseph. You know what I mean? Like, 
when you open up the little children's Bible and there's all the little pictures around Christmas time, you know, you see like Mary and you see the wise men and the shepherds and the camels and the sheep. You're like, who's that guy? Oh, that's Joseph. What is he doing? I don't know. He just doesn't really do anything, right? No one really thinks very much about him. I mean, to get cast as Joseph in the Christmas play is like one step above getting cast as a sheep. Because nobody cares about it. Even like our Catholic friends. Our Catholic friends, they pray to Mary and they make a statue of Mary and then sometimes they'll find like, they'll find the image of Mary like in a piece of toast or something like that. Nobody ever does that with Joseph. You never hear about anybody like eating a burger and going, guys, guys, come here, look, I can see Joseph in the burger, you know? There he is, there's the outline. Like nobody cares about Joseph. And so I want to kind of challenge that thought today because when you look at this guy, he really is an amazing figure. And so I want to talk about him. Um, Actually, people assume that he died relatively early in Jesus' life. We do know that he lived until Jesus was at least 12 years old because there's a story where Jesus basically gets lost or or his parents think that he's lost, and he's teaching a bunch of Pharisees in a temple, and they're looking for him for a long time, but that's when he's 12, and so there's the indication that Joseph is at least alive till then, but there's so much to learn for him, from him in this little part of the story that we're going to look at today, and if there's one sentence that describes what Joseph did that can characterize what we can learn from, especially as we, as we look at Father's Day and we look particularly at guys and the, inf- the influence in the home, the influence as men and ladies, of course, this is a lot that you can learn from this as well. But particularly as we look at Joseph, the one thing that we can talk about or look at with him is this, the idea that he did what needed to be done. He did what needed to be done. And so on this Father's Day, when we talk about leadership in the home, we talk about what practical manhood looks like. Practical manhood. More than anything else, we can be described as doing what needs to be done. That what a man does, a godly man, and what Joseph did more than anything else, while he was unsung and unknown and really, really relatively not someone that, you know, people think he was just kind of along for the ride, really. But he did what needed to be done. So as we read this passage, we're going to see that Joseph finds out for the first time that not only is his wife pregnant, not by him, but that he's going to be asked by God to raise a child that isn't his and to bear a consequence he didn't create in order and, and ultimately reorder his entire life around this child and around the child's safety and security and identity. So let's read this and then we'll talk about what we can pull from it. Starting with verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So when we look at what's going on in this story, there's some cultural things here that we may not understand unless we kind of dig into it a little bit. First of all, when it came to marriage, it was very common for marriages to be arranged by the families and the families would know each other and they would kind of work these things out and there would be a contract kind of worked out between families. And what would happen is usually the guy was probably, you know, relatively older than the, than the girl. Sometimes the girl was as young as 12 or 13 years old. And so rather than an engagement like we have now, they have what was called a betrothal. And the betrothal was basically a year-long period where they were, they were, for all intents and purposes, married, but they didn't function as married people. The, the woman, the young lady, would stay in her parents' home, and the man would stay in his parents' home, and they were not to have any uh, sexual contact or anything like that for a period of about a year until the, at, at the actual wedding time, the guy would go over and grab his wife from the, the parent's house and bring her back to, to his house, and then, you know, the fun would begin, and on they would go. But it was this year-long period, but it was very, very important. It was stronger than an engagement in that they were considered married. So, for example, the only way to get out of an arrangement of a betrothal would actually be to get a divorce. You would have to get a certificate of divorce to break that off. And if one or the other party would pass away, the other one would be seen as a widow or a widower. That's how serious this period was where they kind of stayed in um, their respective homes. And so this is the period that's taking place here. And all of a sudden, in the whole thing, what happens is, of course, everything is going fine until Mary gets pregnant. Now, this is a big deal on several levels because, first of all, the idea is, you know, obviously Joseph hears this and he says, you know, Mary's been messing around, which, by the way, wasn't all that uncommon. That would happen from time to time, okay? So what happens from this point is he could have done a variety of things. The, the, the most severe thing he could have done was he could have, he could have legitimately and legally dragged her before the Jewish court and said, this woman has cheated on me and under the Hebrew law, she could have been stoned. And when I mean stoned, I don't mean like, you know, 420 Colorado stone. I mean, as my Egyptian buddy said, they throw rocks at her until she is dead. That's what the stoning is, all right? So they could have literally executed her that way. And that would have been perfectly legitimate. And by the way, in the process of that, Joseph could have even saved face himself. His reputation would have been fine and intact. But he didn't do it. Why? Because the Bible says he was a just man unwilling to put her to shame. So what does it mean for a man? We talk about what manhood is on this Father's Day. And whether you've experienced this or not, whether there's been a gaping hole in your life because of, because of the men that have not stepped up and done their job, but what we, we talk about what is manhood, what I hope we would do is that we would get our ideas of it from the Bible and from what we can learn about the characters in the Bible who displayed it well. And so when we look at this, what does it mean for a man to do what must be done? The first thing we can learn from Joseph is this. Number one, we have to be willing to sacrifice. He is willing to sacrifice for those he loves. You see, even though his whole plan was to divorce her, to divorce her quietly, to work out some kind of settlement, you know, because he was just and righteous guy, so he'd work out some kind of settlement, you know, and there could have been, he, maybe the, some, the family would have paid him some money and whatever else, and he could have just done a real hush-hush. People still would have found out. And there still would have been rumors. 
And wherever he walked around, the people that knew him would say, you know, whisper, like, there's Joseph. There's the guy whose, whose lady went out and, and messed around on him. And now the whole thing, and did you hear about this? And you know, all the little gossip and chatter. And what Joseph was going to prepare to do was to absorb that shame. Was going to absorb that consequence. And there's something about manhood, true manhood, that says when you love someone, you do what must be done, and part of that at times may mean absorbing the, the, uh, the difficulty and challenge of someone else that you care about truly. And the fact that he was willing to do that speaks volumes for him. Because in, you have to understand too, this is an honor-shame culture. We don't have that as much here. There's other parts of the world that still have the honor-shame culture where, it's, where a, man, a man's honor is more important than his life. And this is the kind of culture they existed in. And he was willing to have that be called into question. We don't realize how disparaging that could have been for him to still bear and absorb this. Because why? Because as it says very clearly, he did not want to have her bear the shame, even though she deserved it. That's cool. That's strength. That's tough. And he doesn't ever get any credit for that, really. He really doesn't get credit for it. And so, this is what men are supposed to do. They sacrifice for those they love, regardless of what it costs them. And so we're supposed to spend, guys, this is the idea. Guys, we're to spend and to be spent on people in our lives that mean something to us that we're called to basically oversee or look after. One of the things, we, we talk about this a lot on staff, by the way, our, our guys, and, and Gabe especially, um, um, has, in leadership groups with, other, with guys here at this church, and we've had a lot of conversations about manhood because there's been so many guys in our church who either grew up without dads or um, had a bad experience with their father, or now, you know, they have kids of their own, and they're trying to, and wives of their own, they're trying to figure out, how do I do this honorably? And so we've had a lot of discussions about this, and one of our favorite books is written by a guy named Stephen Mansfield, and it's called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. He was serendipitously given the name Mansfield, and so he wrote this book called Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and the guy is an amazing guy, and we've probably mentioned this from the stage before, but if we have, it's only because I want to encourage you. This is a great Father's Day gift, and it's not too late to go out and grab one um, for dad, seriously. Um, Order it and have a little Amazon drone come and drop it on your dad, or I don't know, whatever they do. Um, You know, somebody delivered it at three in the morning, or whatever, but, but, do, but this is a fantastic book, and it's a very easy read, but one of the things Mansfield talks about, as he talks about kind of like the pillars or concepts or principles of manhood, is the idea of what he calls tending to your field. And you've probably heard us say this before, but we're going to keep talking about it until we're a broken record, because guys, this is such a huge solution. And he mentions the fact that when he was playing football in high school, I was having a hard time with guys getting past him on the, on the line of scrimmage, and, and so his coach says, you know what, this piece of grass right here, this is yours. Nobody gets in here. And this is going to be your field, and you're going to tend to your field. You're going to love your field. You're going to watch over your field. You're going to take care of your field. And you make them come out with scissors and cut the grass. So it would be perfectly, you know, all perfectly nice and manicured and everything. You're, you are going to love your field, and you're going to watch over your field, and you're going to protect your field. And the principle is that, that one of the things that a man does is he's got to have a field to look after. He's got to have something that engages him that he can watch over and give himself to. And Joseph has this concept going on in his life. 
But of course the story continues on because right as he's about to execute this plan, an angel shows up in a dream and tells him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now you gotta, you, you gotta think about that. Like for Joseph, he's gotta sit there and go, man, why can't I just have a normal life? You know, I mean, it's one thing if, you're, if your betrothed wife gets pregnant from somebody else, but then you find out it's God that did it and you can't even be mad about it. Like, what do you spell? You can argue with it. It's like, well, thanks a lot, God. I didn't get a chance to actually be a part of the making the child process, which is kind of an incentive for having one. But now I just have to reap the benefits or the consequences rather of this. And then he's not even supposed to have sex with her until after the baby is born or whatever. So, I mean, he's, he's really got to be sitting here going, man, what? like I just wanted some sheep and some camels, you know, a nice little tent to live in, you know, why did I get stuck with this? And you can understand sometimes we could feel that way. But that really introduces the other aspect of doing what must be done, and that is, and this is exactly what Joseph did as this, remember, he is the stepfather. He's not the biological father of Jesus. He is the stepfather of Jesus. And that, number two, is this, taking responsibility for problems you did not create. Taking responsibility for problems you did not create. So now, again, this isn't a problem, but in Joseph's mind, you know, I would think initially it would like, okay, I've got a challenge here. I've got an issue that I've got to deal with. But the angel tells Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not fear to step into this role. Do not fear to engage with something that you had nothing to do with, that you didn't ask for, but you are needed right now. That's huge. And so, you know, um, as we talk this thing through, and, and again, we've talked about this on staff, and, and it's interesting because when you talk about do not fear, there's this idea of courage. And even as you study like the whole concept of what manliness is at, at its core, in Greek thought, all going all the way back to the Greeks, the Greek word for, what's really interesting is, is the word andrea is the Greek word for both manliness and courage. And so those two words are, are not, the two definitions are the same. It's one word, for, for basically man and courage, that they both have the same thought. So even, so it's, it's not that men are the only ones that are courageous. A woman can act very, very courageously, but even then when she acts courageously, it's understood that she acts, she has a, she acts manly. She, has, she does what a man is supposed to do. And so she can be very womanly and feminine, but still act courageously and it's seen as a manly act. So there's a, there's a difference between men and women in that men almost have to be this, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm biologically a man, but what does it mean to really become a man? Men have to be initiated into this and what that really is synonymous with more than anything else is the act of courage and the idea of courage and this is what this is what Joseph is is specifically commanded by the angel to exert in his life do not be afraid about what's going to happen and I think about this when I look at our church and those of you who have stepped up to be foster parents and adoptive parents and there's something about that to me that is so incredibly admirable and I just want to say First of all, thank you for those of you that have done that. And you know, we train, we actually, um, we, we freely offer our facilities uh, as much as possible to have the, um, the foster um, training, parent training classes here. We've done a lot. And if you're interested in that, please contact us. I will tell you, I do think it's a calling, even though it's a very noble thing. I don't think obviously everyone's called to that and they don't either, which is why they vet you a lot. But God may be calling some of you to do that. But those of you that have, I just want to say, 
Um, I deeply admire and respect that because what are you doing? You are stepping into a situation that is oftentimes very complicated and you didn't create that. You weren't the cause of that. And it would be so easy for you to say, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. I, hey, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. I feel bad for these kids, but pff, hey man, I got, life's got enough trouble of its own from, for me. But there's something manly about stepping in and saying, I didn't cause this problem, but I'm going to be part of the solution. I didn't create this mess, but I can come in and help. And you give of yourself to do that. And it's powerful and it's effective. And it's about doing what needs to be done. And by the way, if there's any group of people that should step up and do that, it should be Christians. In fact, if you look at, there's an amazing quote. I can't remember, um, Julian, I think it was, in the 300 ADs. He was an emperor of Rome and he was scolding his people. He says, why is it? He said, because Christians used to be known as pagans because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods and they worshiped an invisible god, okay? And uh, so he, would, he scolded his people and he said, do you not realize we are being put to shame by these atheists, by these pagans, Christians, because they're the ones that are taking our children who we, who we aren't raising and they're raising them and they're making us look bad. And, and they, did, they, had no, they, they didn't do this. They're raising our children. They're loving our children and, and rescuing them when they're left out for exposure and everything else. And he says, we gotta figure this out because it's proving our religion to be horrible. It's a fascinating quote. But in any case, so here's what happens. So then he goes on and he says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. So not only does Joseph absorb the shame of Mary's pregnancy, not only does he take responsibility for raising this child, but now this is where it gets interesting. He is charged with giving the child his name. Notice that the, the one person, it wasn't Mary that was told to give the name to, uh, to the baby. It was Joseph. And that was a cultural thing because names were much more significant than they are now. Like, you know, you might be named after like your, your um, aunt or something like that or your uncle or, you know, some people name their kids after movie stars or whatever. But when you, when you would name a child in, in that time, you named them to be a picture of their character and their destiny. So names were to be very, very symbolic of what she wanted their character and their destiny to be. And Joseph was given the task of naming Jesus, again, taking responsibility for his character and his destiny. Now, obviously, we know that our kids are going to make their own decisions, and we may have some, some of us in here that are just, just dealing with a lot of pain because you, you see what your adult children are doing, and, and our, our kids are 16 and under, and what we're being told by parents who are a little further down the road is you never stop being a mother or a father, right? And those of you guys that are in that stage, you know that. You think, oh, the, you know, first they're adult kids are going to go do their own thing, and this is great, you know, as I cross the finish line, but no. You're still going. They're still calling you up. They still got issues. They're still, you know, fighting with their spouse. They need money and all this crazy. They're, they're aimless in life or whatever. And so you still bear that burden. So in a sense, you know, it's not like you're responsible. I mean, their kids are going to make their own decisions. But when they start out, dads, especially dads, you have to understand your role is so critical because their kids are going to love mom, but they're going to follow dad. They've done studies about this. They'll show even when um, the most likely scenario, and this is a book written by David Murrow. 
years back called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And it was a whole study on why men have left the church over, over the last couple hundred years. And there's very interesting sociological stuff and everything else. But they did a study where they found that the highest chance of a kid um, who, uh, going to church as an adult is when only the father goes. And so it was really interesting because they'd say, okay, obviously in, in a lot of situations, the mother brings the kids to church. Very low probability that when that kid grows up that they'll go to church because the, the dad stayed home and watched football, mom went to church, and, the, and, and you know, it was nice, but they just don't connect. To both parents go to church, you'd think that'd be the highest probability, but it's not. And the reason is because oftentimes the father goes to church to placate the mother. But it's when situations where dad goes and mom doesn't, where dad gets up and says, come on kids, mom's sleeping in, she's watching TV, whatever, we're going to church. Those kids have the highest percentage of going to church as adults because they've, saw, they've seen their father do it and they follow their father. And so this is fascinating stuff. And so that is the role that fathers have to set the tone for the character and the destiny of the child. And you know this. But it, it's unfortunately, as we continue to try to chip away at the importance of the difference between men and women, and we chip away at the value that we, that we're, that we're, what we're doing is we're banging our heads against the walls of nature. And you're coming up against nature, and you, 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 can't, you can't beat nature. You can't. You can legislate around it. You can, have, you can play games with it. You can't, you can't ignore it. You can't, it is, there's something about how things are wired that this is so important. And so, you, by the way, you see this in the Bible all the way back to Genesis. When, who, when Adam um, um, uh, is created by God, God tells Adam, the first thing God tells him to do is to name all the animals. And there's something about the, the man giving, some, giving he's, everything that, that Adam named him, but that, that was his name. So this is gonna be a rhinoceros, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be that. But he was classifying and everything else, but he was categorizing and he was speaking. He was, he was basically, he had an agency from God that God delegated to him to name stuff. And guys, you still do that today. And you have no idea, you dads in this room, the power that you speak into the lives of your kids with your words and how you speak over them and how you pray over them and how you, you talk to them and about them and the things that you speak about them, when you speak those things, they can very easily become realities because you, your name, and it's not just about, I'm gonna name my kid John or you know, Jennifer or whatever. No, 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 it's not, it's far beyond that. It's character and destiny. And so, what, that's the third thing that men do is they watch over the character and the destiny of those under their care. And by the way, what is even more significant, here's what's crazy. One of the greatest legitimizers of Jesus, this is crazy, was that he came from the line of David or really all the way back to Abraham. So in Matthew chapter one, it's kind of boring because it's like from the genealogy from, um, from Abraham to Jesus, right? So it's like this person was the father of this person, was the father of this person. And there's David and there's all these people in there, right? Well, and obviously he's seen from the line of David. Well, here's the deal. Mary wasn't in that line. So Jesus was not a biological relative of David. Joseph was a biological relative of David. But here's the thing. God doesn't care about blood. He doesn't care about blood. He cares about the process of people having faith in their lives and they're grafted into these lines. And even Jesus himself, because of his relationship with Joseph as his stepfather, was brought into the line of David. 
And that's so crazy because it shows the, the, the character of God and the, and the, and the beauty of, of God's plan that he had that legitimacy. What gave him legitimacy? The line all the way back from prophecy and everything else. But Joseph was the one that brought that legitimacy. And so guys, what I'm, what I'm trying to challenge you with, and ladies, this is so important for you. Let me tell you why this is important for you. Because ladies, you're getting a really jacked up picture of what manhood's supposed to be in our culture. And so you don't know what to look for when it comes to a spouse, when it comes to training your own kids, your own sons, when it comes to telling your daughters what to look for. This is very, very confusing for all of us. But here's the deal. If men grab onto these things and follow a guy like Joseph, what happens? Everybody wins in that scenario, right? Everybody wins. And so, the last part of the story is when Joseph wakes up from his dream. And I love this. It says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He got up and he said, it's gotta be done. And he was on the run from, from you know, um, the, the whole thing with Egypt, uh, with, 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 with Herod and the whole thing. And he was on the run trying to make sure and protect his baby from getting killed. And all of this craziness going on and Joseph's job was to watch over that family. It was not to get famous. It was not to, it's not to be somebody who would be worshiped and celebrated for centuries after. He did his job and God took him. And so, what most likely happened was he sped up the betrothal process, you know, probably took her to be his wife earlier because of the pregnancy thing and he could watch over her there. But he didn't seek fanfare or credit and that's our challenge. And so you sacrifice for those you love. You take responsibility for problems you didn't create. And you watch over the character and destiny of those under your care. And no one, and if no one ever sees that. See, that's the thing, guys, I want to ask you. If you agree and say, you know what? Rather than trying to figure out how I can make a ton of money or how I can make a name for myself or all these accolades that I want, if I can do that, if I can do these things, but nobody ever really sees it, and I'm kind of like Joseph, you know, like in the background, like, oh yeah, there's Joseph. And it's, I'm just kind of like the appendage that hangs around when it comes to the historical record of this whole thing. And nobody ever sees, and nobody ever recognizes you or gives you the accolades. And all that happens is, as uh, the novelist Stephen Pressfield writes, you, you end up getting buried in, a, in an unmarked grave on a hill with no name. And no one ever knows. Are you okay with that? Is that enough for you? Because I think what we need to reclaim, guys, in our culture is we need to reclaim a sense of honor. You know? Because a lot of what men are doing today, it might be cool, but it's not honorable. We've got to retain that. And we've got to think about that. And that's got to be something that drives us because we are so important in the lives of the people that God has put in our midst. You know what blows me away? I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say this in a sermon before, but as I was studying this, it blew me away. You see, remember, Joseph was the father of Jesus, and we don't know how long Joseph lived in G into Jesus' life, but we do know that he was a carpenter. He made um, plows and, and other equipment. He was a craftsman, and he taught Jesus how to be a carpenter, the craftsman. And I wonder because we always think of Jesus as this guy who's perfect and he always had the right thing to say and he blew away the Pharisees with his knowledge and thousands of people followed him. But I wonder as Jesus was going through his life, if he, when he, he, he would say something and he would stop like we all do and go, 
Man, I sounded like dad just then. I sound like my father. And I don't mean his heavenly father, I mean his earthly father. I wonder if as he was building his, his practicing his craft of carpentry and, and making these th- different things, if he ever wondered, you know, how would dad do this? Or he'd maybe say to one of the, his friends or his you know, disciples, hey, this is what my father taught me. My father taught me to do it this way. And I wonder what kind of imprint, not just in terms of skill that Joseph had, but character as well, to where even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be in a tough spot. And yes, pray to his father, but remember his earthly father and what his earthly father did and want to be like him too. Doesn't that blow your mind? Because if Jesus was like us in every way, and if Jesus was human just like we were, then his need for an earthly father and the impact and imprint that an earthly father would have on him would have to be very, very similar, if not exactly like what we ourselves would deal with, with our own earthly fathers. That makes Joseph an incredibly powerful man to have a manly influence on the life of the Son of God. By the way, were it not for Joseph doing what needed to be done, we wouldn't be here. You see, the whole reason that this had to happen was the Savior of the world could not come from Mary and Joseph on their own. Our, our rescuing could never come from ourselves. You know, every Christmas, they, uh, the, the media loves to tout these scholars all dried up and crusty somewhere in some ivory tower who love to say, well, here's what we really know about the virgin birth, and there's really no way that obviously that didn't happen, so here's probably what did happen, and blah, 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 blah. And we kind of just cast it aside. But it kind of makes me mad. Because I go, okay, well, so you, you want the naturalistic explanation for this. Because in your mind, there's no way that God would ever do this. Because if there is a God, what you're basically saying is there's no way he would ever, ever, ever want to be so close to us that he would become one of us. What a silly thought. What a foolish thought that the God of the universe, if there even is one, would take time and take energy and do what needed to be done himself to come down here and stand into my place and pay for my sin. What a foolish thought. God would never do that. And I just want to look at a person like that and go, what a jerk. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for sounding all smart and going, well, we know better that God would never do that. Who do you think you are? No, the only way that we could ever be saved was we had to be saved from the outside. God had to invade this planet because it was beyond hope, because we are beyond hope, and that's why we always hold on to the virgin birth, because the virgin birth is a beautiful thing, because it shows that God became man. God became one of us. And if it wasn't for the stepfather who stepped up, when God needed him to, things would have turned out very differently. So a couple of thoughts from this. First of all, guys, wherever you're at, you're needed. You know that? You're not just needed to get to the next level of the video game, or you're not just needed to make the next car payment. You're not just needed to, you know, get your uh, fantasy football team together. All that's fine, it's great. But we've been kind of lulled to sleep as men because we don't really sense any real danger these days. But guys, every single one of you, if you're a man, you're needed for who you are. 
And God has put people in your mind. I don't care if you don't have kids. I don't care if you're not married. There's people in your life that you can do these things with, that you can step into situations. Not that you have this Messiah complex or that you're gonna be a codependent person, but you can step in and offer your strength and offer your energy and offer your integrity and offer your character and offer who you are to try to help other people see Jesus the way that you do by using your strength and using your courage. That's what God's calling you to do. And women, your job is to affirm it. Call it out whenever you see it. Don't reject it. Don't mock it. Don't be sarcastic about it. But call it out and say, that's awesome. Say, good for you. Say, and, and, and help us rise to that challenge. Help us be who God created us to be. Because if we can, you will win too. But we do need you to affirm what we so often question in ourselves. And so ladies, some of the best thing you can possibly do for your husband is say thank you for the strength that you provided this family. Even if it's not very good right now. It'd be amazing how quickly it can turn around if he actually believes and thinks that he could be one of these guys. Am I resonating? Am I resonating? I hope. I hope. But it starts with the, uh, the reality of Jesus coming here and how God operates and takes and uses people and calls them to do things they had no idea they were gonna do. So this Father's Day, man, guys, I just wanna affirm you. You're, the culture wants to kick you to the curb and say it's no big deal, do whatever you want, who cares? God's telling you, right where you are, you have influence, you have leadership, your life matters, your strength matters, your ability matters, all those things matter. Your courage matters more than ever. So scare yourself a little bit. Step into something. Do something that, has, that forces you to draw on the best in you. And ladies, do your best to try to call it out, appreciate it, affirm it. Pray for it. And we'll see the amazing things that God can do. Let's pray together. God, you've given us this story of Joseph that is just the coolest thing. I pray for everyone here. If there's someone here today who says, you know what? Man, God became man. And I need to reckon with that first. I, I gotta deal with that, the fact that I need to surrender my life to Jesus and become a follower of his. That right where they are, they would just tell you, they would say, God, I believe that your arrival on this earth was a miracle and that you have rescued me from my sins through the God-man Jesus. And I need you to pay for my sin because you did what needed to be done for me. And I need to turn my sins over to you and I'm telling you today, I want to live for you. If that's you today, just tell him right now in your heart. Say, today I surrender my life on Father's Day weekend 2017. I reconnect with my heavenly father. And I become his child. Do that right now. Tell him that. For the rest of us, this is something that we have the opportunity to be able to just ponder and wonder and look at and say, God, thank you for how you've made us uniquely and individually. And so I wanna pray for our guys in here. God, I ask for these men that you would draw out of them the best of what you put in them that they would be the best husbands they can possibly be, not perfect, none of us are perfect, the best fathers they can be, that they can do these things that Joseph did. 
that we could see our community change because of this. And thank you for our women, so many of whom have been so brutally destroyed by the absence of of male loving leadership, of sacrificial love. God, would you restore their hearts? Would you give them eyes to see and the words to say to affirm and to strengthen which they do so well those men that have been put in their midst. Thank you for this message and for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.